back to our next episode with of The Wedded. And today we have, for the first time, as you can see, we're sat together, which we never do. And that is because we have our first guest. Oh! The one and only, Aaron Babaloni. Hello. Welcome. Good morning. Thank <laughs> you for having me. We are so excited to have our first guest on the show and it couldn't be anyone else but yourself. That is Thank so you. true. Super That's... happy to be here. We are so, I'm so grateful. So to give everybody a little bit of background of, of really, first of all, how we met. So I would say, Aaron, we met each other maybe seven years ago now. Yeah, I think when you came into the country. Yeah, when I came into the country. And I wasn't a new wedding planner, but I was a new wedding planner in the Middle East. And I know I've mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but Aaron really took me under his wing and you introduced me to the right people. And I really feel like you helped my the start of my career in the UAE. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So thank you for that. But thank you for coming on the show today. No, of course, it's my pleasure. And, and this is what I've tried to instill with my friends, with my colleagues, with my team. And it just takes it takes a few people, a few good people in the business to sort of think in this direction. And when other people see that this is not that bad, like I have a friend in the business that I can talk to, that I can go to if I have, a, yeah. if I have an issue, and um, they're there for me. You might have other friends in other businesses, but they don't understand the challenges we have as a wedding planner, right? Sure. With our family lives, with our friends, with late nights, early mornings, health issues, um, bridezillas. So mm. it's fragile you have a friend, brides, as we frag- like to say. Oh, fragile brides. <laughs> oh, okay. Fragile brides. <laughs> Is that a new term you guys yes, have coined? Invented by, oh, invented by the wedded. It's invented by trademark. Nice. Yes. So for our fragile brides, um, <laughs> the idea is to speak to somebody that goes to the exact same thing. So if they've been through a problem like that, they can always talk to you and walk you through it as opposed to a friend of yours that is uh, in the world of finance or into other businesses, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's why I thought it might be a great idea to sort of get everybody together, build that community and work on it. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's the whole purpose of the wedded as well, because we're really trying to do that ourselves and just have a, sp- a safe space for everybody to ask any questions and, and to talk openly and, and, you know, get rid of the stigma around not being able to talk or not feeling like you can talk about things in the industry. And, you know, having something accessible online for anybody who's overseas, for example, that doesn't have the, the benefit of that community to then to listen to our story. So I guess let's start, first of all, by kind of introducing you and how did you get in? Because Aaron is an international destination wedding planner. So how did you get into that? Well, I've been in the business of events for a little over 20 years. So it's mm-hmm. been two decades. Um, I've pondered into different kind of events, whether it's fashion shows, uh, club nights, uh, brand activations, conferences, exhibitions, uh, corporate events. Um, and then I think life was meant to lead me into this direction. Uh, we started Viva Weddings in 2012. And at the time, I was also running another company called Infinity, which was a brand activations and corporate events company. So simultaneously, uh, both the companies were run with the same exact same team. So at one point, you would see the team doing corporate events and very corporate. And on the other side, they're handling a destination Indian wedding. And I always, I always realized that people enjoyed that a little bit more. And because Viva was a baby at the time, uh, it needed the support of Infinity um, mm-hmm. to sort of like, technically Viva was running out of the Infinity office. Right. So 
we didn't have a team. We had we had just myself and and my team, who was technically team of infinity. And then they started doing weddings with us, and they enjoyed it, and that's how the brand grew. Um, in 2000, I think 14, 2015, we moved into our own office, had two people, and then three people, and then started growing. So it's been it's been 11 years. This March 2024 will finish uh, 12 years in the business. Congrats. So one of the things that we actually talk about here on The Wedded is discovering your niche, especially if you are a start-out wedding planner. So what was it about destination weddings that made you want to have that as your niche? Well, quite honestly, destination weddings was not my niche initially. The idea was to get into weddings. Right. And then with time, you develop that skill, that hunger to grow and do better, uh, and then become that destination wedding planner. Yeah, we for the first I think four years in the business or five years in the business, we did things locally. I was uh, going to say because when we met, I don't think correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that you specialized in destination weddings at the time. Maybe you'd done a handful, but not. It wasn't something that I knew that you did all the time. I mean, it was something that we decided two or three years into the business, but it's not like you decide to do a destination wedding and then you're a destination wedding planner, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of research that goes into it. So if you want to do, or if you want to pitch, for example, Bali as a destination, you need to go to Bali, you need to meet hotels, you need to meet vendors, you need mm -hmm. to meet uh, the tourism board to see what kind of support they can provide. You need to meet people from the immigration to see what the systems and processes are. You just can't wake up one morning and be like, hey, I'm a, I'm a destination wedding planner now. Sure, let me know where you want to go and I'll help you out. So there's a lot of research that went into it with time. So we started with one country and then a second, then a third, then a fourth. Um, and then obviously when you speak to a client, they also have to believe that you you know what you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. If someone says, I want to do a, a, a wedding in Hawaii, um, and you say yes, but okay, what hotels? Who do you know? What are the vendors that you work with? Which hotel has how many rooms? Now, that information you have here in Dubai, and if I asked you the same question about uh, Dubai, what, how many rooms does Palazzo Versace have, or Caesar's Palace, or Jumeirah al Nassim, or how big is the ballroom? You know it in the back mm -hmm. of your hand. Do you know that about Hawaii? No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Unless you physically go there, do your research, meet people. Um, so people see, people th see through BS, Yeah, yeah. you know, clients see through you For sure. and so, especially if someone's spending that kind of money, they know what they're talking about. They need to believe that you can do their wedding. So how did it start for you? For those people who are watching that are maybe planning weddings in their home country and they really want to get into destination weddings, how did it start for you? Did you first choose a destination or did a client come to you with a destination and then you just did your research? Like, how did you do the first one and then how did it progress to, to further ones? I mean, um, in terms of growth, uh, Hannah, what you need to look at is it's not just an international growth instantly. It mm -hmm. starts locally. So within Dubai and then within the UAE mm -hmm. and then you grow regionally. So you look at close by countries like Bahrain, Oman, Qatar. So we started focusing on that first. Went there, did our research, met people, saw hotels, understood the price points. And then we went to do things internationally. So we looked at three or four countries, came back with the information, did a lot of research, pushed those countries out, uh, promoted those countries. And once that was done, if someone was interested, at least we had all the information ready. Whether they're looking for price points, do you have a connect? Sure. Can you please check with this hotel in Oman if they have the rooms and the pricing? Sure, we can do that for you. Come back to them in 48 hours. Yes, it's available. 
why don't we go and have a look? So we went and did a recce. And that's how we obviously started. And so it started locally, then regionally, and then internationally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then every year, every year, rather every three years, we pick three or four destinations that we really focus on. And then we've, we not only understand that location well, we visit it as many times as possible, we go and do our research, and then we promote only those three or four destinations that we're focusing on. Right. So what's your favorite country and why? And he's very diplomatic, by the way. So he's <laughs> going to really struggle with this because the tourism boards are going to be like, what about our country? <laughs> I mean, you know, every country has its pros and cons. And I, I, mean. I know. There we go. <laughs> so Aaron, we're not asking you to be diplomatic. We're saying, what is your favorite no, country? I'm not being diplomatic. It's, it's, it's the truth of the matter is every country has its pros and cons, right? Yeah. How do you pick a destination for a wedding? It's based on three or four things. The price point. Mm-hmm. It's based on the weather. And it's based on the logistics, how far it is. Now, lucky for us in Dubai, uh, two-thirds of the world is eight hours away, which yeah. is excellent for us, mm-hmm. right? So we can cover majority of the world. Um, every country, every city within that country has different pros and cons in terms of nature, in terms of mountains or valleys or uh, forests or uh, snow-capped mountains or a place, a place like Dubai, which has iconic Uh, uh, locations like uh, the Expo 2020 site or uh, Museum of the Future where Mm -hmm. you've done an amazing, amazing wedding Um, and things (laughs) and and things like that. Right. So, uh, you know, I I, I really enjoyed Turkey as a destination Mm -hmm. um, because it's got so much to offer um, and it's sort of on the cusp of Asia and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a uh, uh, the Asian side gives you that Asian feel and the European side gives you that European feel. But also Dubai, I think it's it's, it's a fantastic destination because like I said, one, it's two thirds of the world, it's eight hours from two thirds of the world. Uh, Second, uh, it's got something for everyone's pocket size. So if you're looking to do a small wedding with two people, 10 people or 2000 people, Dubai can sort of accommodate that. Um, the flexibility um, with hotels here, they're so wedding flexible. Um, there isn't a language barrier, which is, again, a, a big issue. On on that note about language barriers, so I come from a translation background, nothing to do with weddings, so I completely transformed my career, didn't I? And it's interesting to note how language barriers can play a part, such a big part in this industry. So can you think of an example where something has got lost in translation or you know, there was a, a bit of a wedding fail because of the language barrier. He's smiling. He's got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I want to say, Laura, is um, things get lost in translation even if you speak the same language. Yeah. Right? So it's, 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 this is me and Hannah on a daily. It's, yeah. So it's, it's, it's you trying to... Because we're surrounded by so many stakeholders in, in the world of weddings, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just the two of you speaking or you're just your internal team speaking you are connecting and speaking to so many different stakeholders. Things do get lost in translation. Things get missed out. And there's there's a hundred things that need to be done and they need to be done right. Yeah. Because if you don't do it right the first time, it's considered a fail. We don't have uh, we don't have second shots. Yes, yeah. there's a plan B should something go wrong. But if something goes wrong, it's considered a fail. Especially when it comes to language barriers, when we do destination weddings, it we realized very quickly in our early days uh, the minute we started doing destination weddings, um, starting from France or Italy or uh, other parts of the world, we needed, one, a 
a supplier on ground, an on ground partner that could sort of help us get the message across. Someone yeah. who levels with you, who speaks fluently in both languages. So I remember when we were doing our uh, Disneyland Paris wedding, um, in the first, I think, month, we realized that they don't speak English. And even if they do, they may not want to speak English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, every time we wrote an email, it took them almost three or four days to come back to us, any vendor, wow. because it because they had to process what we wrote in English and then maybe translate that into French and then come back. Yes, there are. I have amazing industry friends in France that speak excellent English, but it's it's not just they're not just the only people we're dealing with. There's multiple vendors. Mm-hmm. In our Disneyland Paris wedding, we had over I think eighty to hundred vendors uh, supplying different different things, and we then eventually got someone on board um, for six months. In fact, we had two people on board in our company for on a six months contract to sort of play that intermediary role. Right. Um, to sort of we convey to them what we want. They then write the email in French, mm-hmm. goes to them, answer comes back quickly, and then we get a translated version. So we had two French-speaking event managers in-house for six months from, I think, uh, Feb onwards to September um, to sort of just look after these things. And then we flew out with two of our colleagues uh, there, and they were then liaising, communicating, uh, getting information across. And even then, things didn't go 100% because... In my opinion, nothing is 100% when it comes to weddings. So when you, I know with Disneyland Paris, and for those of you who've never seen that wedding, if maybe you're sort of new in the industry, um, Aaron did the first ever Indian wedding in Disneyland Paris, and it was amazing, and it was a massive project for you, and there was a lot of things that happened, and for a destination wedding, that was possibly one of the larger ones, I think, with a lot of... Yeah, iconic, but lots of logistical problems that you contend with because of the place where the client chose. Whereas if it's just a destination wedding and you mentioned you have someone on the ground, would that be a wedding planner? So say for, let's say, for example, you have a, a wedding in Bali. I know you have lots of contacts in Bali now, but in the beginning, would you go to a wedding planner in Bali who, can, who would be like your on-the-ground person? Or could it be just a vendor that's a rental company or a florist? Like, who would you look for? I mean, in an ideal situation, it's, it's great to have a wedding planner mm-hmm. that levels with you, that does the same kind of work for you in Bali. Right. And over the years, you built this link with wedding planners all over the world. Mm-hmm. So if tomorrow I want to do a wedding in Morocco, I have a friend that does weddings in Morocco. Mm-hmm. If I want to do weddings in the UK or if I want to do wedding in Bali or Italy, I have people just like myself, wedding planners, that do the exact same thing there. Mm-hmm. And in return, they have me in Dubai. So if they ever want to do something in Dubai, they can always reach out to me. So there's that understanding that we have amongst wedding planners, and that's what that's what collaboration is all about, right? So it's very important to have that wedding planner, um, wedding planning company that sort of helps you get through that phase of destination wedding. And they walk with you through and through because they have the local knowledge. Should you not know any wedding planner based out of the destination, the second best option is a DMC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So DMCs are somewhat like wedding planners, but not entirely. Yeah. They understand mo- the business mostly, but not to the level of a wedding planner. A wedding planner knows the uh, specific details of what goes into it. And also, you have to understand our business is not very black and white because there is an element of emotion involved in weddings. 
uh, there's a lot of grey area. An element. Did you hear that? Like one singular, <laughs> singular element. <'Cause, laughs> there's normally a lot of emotions, but sure. But there's so much emotion that goes into the wedding, making it very grey in certain areas, right? Mm. And only a wedding planner would understand that. Yeah. Not a vendor, not a DMC. So you need to have that wedding planner friend that can then help guide you. Like, for example, when, when Matthew came to Oman. Mm-hmm. That was a great... I had, I had such a great time working with him, but I tell you what. Bottom line is, uh, that was a great collaboration. So, it and, was so good. And, and it gave you exposure. It gave him exposure. You looked after one another and did it together, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. That's, that's the idea of a destination wedding. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we move on to another topic. So we've already spoke about your successes in the industry and how knowledgeable you are. And obviously, it's not always an easy ride. You know, there are bumps along the road. So can you think about a prime example where you kind of made a mistake in your career and how did you rectify it? Oh, absolutely, Laura. I think... Uh 12 years in the business, and we're still making mistakes. Um, there's always something that could possibly go wrong, uh, whether it's an in, uh, internal issue where we've forgotten to do something or an external issue when something uh, that is out of our control goes wrong. Uh, but mistakes are made, and, and I'm a firm believer that no event is 100% successful. There's always something that could potentially go wrong. So if you can le- reach that uh, threshold of... 90, 95% of, a, of an event or a wedding going successful, I consider that a success. But over the years, there's been a lot of mistakes that we may have made. Um, I think if I give you an example from our wedding at Disneyland Paris, um, one of the things that that wedding taught us was uh, never uh, take anything for granted, like check everything, work on everything, mm-hmm. uh, even the most obvious things, like when you when you do an event, uh, and they're they're catering food. You're assuming they have a kitchen, or do they have, like even uh, we did this wedding in Italy where um, we we would hope that the hotel where we're uh, doing the wedding would have salt and pepper shakers, right? They didn't have salt and pepper shakers. In we had Italy. To, in Italy. I think it was in 2016. Uh, we were doing a wedding, and you you expect a hotel to have cutlery and crockery. It's something that we're very yeah. used to in this part of the world. <laughs> Please tell me that they didn't have any. They didn't have anything, um, <gasps> and and it's 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 normal. This is what this is how they operated. They're like, listen, every wedding that happens here, you're expected to bring your own because you want to get something that matches your theme and your style. Um, and it was something that we found out I think two weeks before the wedding. Wow. And it set us in a in a panic mode. Um, lucky for me, uh, the bride and groom were already in Italy um, prior and I sort of flew out there and I met with them and we went through a lot of options. We picked it. It was not a, it was not a crazy uh, idea or a crazy situation where we couldn't manage things, mm-hmm. but it's just there's some, some things you take for granted. Uh, with our Disneyland Paris wedding, um, we talked about catering company coming in to... Uh, uh, sort of prepare food at the at the Disneyland Paris, where they have many, many restaurants. I don't even know, maybe 20, 30 restaurants. They didn't have the right kind of uh, equipment and space for us to um, have our catering team there to cook on the spot. So our plan B at the, at the time was to see if we can create a satellite kitchen under a tent. Uh, we eventually couldn't find that spot. And even if we did, it was exorbitant. The price points were in the hundreds of thousands of euros just yeah. to build something and logistically getting the food into Disneyland Paris. 
Uh, so believe it or not, um, the solution we came up with that for that was to cook the food in London every morning, like overnight, vacuum pack it, have the food shipped from London to Paris, and then another team would receive it in Paris and serve it and, and, and warm it and serve it uh, to the guests. I don't think I would have slept if that had been me. I mean, it's, and this is only because we expected this 20-odd restaurants. I'm sure they'll be able to find a spot for us to do our cooking. Now, Laura and I were saying in, in one of our last podcasts, like, you know, we always try when we're going into an event to try and sort of pre-plan of what could potentially go wrong, right? But you never know. And in that situation, you would assume that a hotel would have those things. You would assume in a venue that has 20 plus restaurants that they would give you a restaurant to cook in. So for those of the people who are watching, who are looking to get into the industry, um, going sort of back now to the very beginning of when you started, maybe not so much with Destination Weddings, but you're definitely someone that I look up to that you know gives me advice and if someone's watching this looking to sort of even enter the industry as a completely fresh face what would be your three top tips for them I mean you know this is this is one of those industries where uh, at least when we started it was there was no education system backing it up so there weren't event management or wedding planning courses mm -hmm. um, 10 12 15 years ago um, and now there is. So step number one is sort of study it. Yeah. yeah. Don't just look at the glamour element of, oh, look, look at Hannah. And, it's and not Laura as and, glamorous as it looks yeah. sometimes. I mean, <laughs> it we all laugh isn't it? about that, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and people don't see it behind the scenes. And that's why uh, when there's wedding planners that are doing behind the scenes, I quite enjoy watching that because that is the real us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So step one is to go out there, find the right courses, whether it's in your country or somewhere else, just like university, go and take a year, year and a half off and, and learn about it. Uh, I think the next step is to intern for somebody, but intern with the real intention of learning. So go work for somebody for maybe a year, two years, um, and then eventually grow into that business and, and then see if you like the business. This is a very thankless business, right? It's a very thankless uh, 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 line of work where um, it's not a nine to five. It's it's a lifestyle. We live our jobs on a daily basis. Yeah. So it's true. something that you need to understand and want to do it. It's not like, oh, it all looks nice and oh, the money looks so nice. That wedding planner drives a nice car. Look at their house. Look where they keep traveling. He's he's in business class flights, going to like cool destinations. Um, the a lot picture. goes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, a lot actually goes into it to make that happen. So. Um, first, study it. Second, be a part of it. Understand it. And, and, and third, really want it. Like, mm. you must really want this to be a part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. none, of us, none of us grew up with our parents saying, you know, I want my daughter, I want my son to be a wedding planner. Yeah. Uh, they obviously had different <laughs> intentions and expectations from us. Now, I, I come from a very typical Indian household where uh, kids are doctors and lawyers and heart surgeons and engineers. And, and you do have to be all of that as a wedding planner, though, pretty much. That, that is absolutely true. I think we're, we're jack of all trades. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, because obviously, so the WEDED is a community for everyone, not just aspiring wedding planners, mm. but people who are already in the industry as well. So what tips would you give people who are already in the industry looking to kind of level up? Because obviously it's all about healthy competition, you know, keeping current, keeping up to date with trends. So what advice would you give there? The first thing I'd say is to... Take time and understand the business well. 
Uh, because within two years of being in the business, you'll realize if this is for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this is this is a it's a very it's not a nine to five. It's it's a lifestyle. You've got to love what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so people that have been in the business for two or three years, once they've realized that yes, this is what I want to do and I want to grow into it, the idea is to first speak to people in the business locally. So have that have those community meetups, go for networking sessions, have friends in the same business that you can talk to, like we discussed earlier, Mm. and also go to international uh, destination networking sessions, conferences, learn about new trends, learn about what's going on in the market, Mm. learn about, learn from other people's mistakes, Mm -hmm. um, and eventually grow into that space. To be able to meet people all over the world and get inspired is amazing and it really does help you get to that next level and and really see what you know where you could take your career and where you could take your business and that makes it really exciting if you're in the industry and you want to level up for sure yeah I think as well it's a really important tip as well just to kind of find ways within yourself to avoid burnout you know really look after yourself Mm. put practices into place so that you know and and learn how to say no as well that's something that we've talked about on the podcast before you know if your schedule is just overwhelming because you want to give every client nothing less than your best so Mm. learn when to say no look after yourself so that you don't start to resent it because you're 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 overwhelmed Mm. and that's that's the other thing right post the pandemic we've realized the value of time yeah we've realized the value of health we've realized the value of our loved ones with family health um, time for oneself and that's that's one of the main reasons that a lot of the companies including ourselves as a company we sort of took a step back and had a good heart think about it and we've sort of changed our strategies in terms of work so whilst work is important we have we have we can't forget that this is a passion-based business yeah. uh, money has to become a uh, a byproduct of what you're doing mm-hmm. it cannot be the main goal like if money is your main goal this is not the business for you yeah. mm-hmm. you have to give it your all but in the process not burn out uh, not be able to uh, sacrifice the time with your family with your friends and whilst we've realized this and people have realized this post the pandemic it, it's it's easier said than done right it's just mm-hmm. I sit here saying that, oh, yeah, we've realized how important health is and how important family is. But do I have time for my family, my friends? I struggle with it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think we uh, we all do. Um, we're trying to get better at it. Um, we're, ty- we're trying to take less work post the pandemic. We're trying to get the right clientele. It's also very important to sort of enjoy the entire planning process as much as the wedding itself. Yeah. So we want to be, we want to sort of work with clients who not only choose us, but we choose them too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So it's not just about the business, it's about happiness. And because we work like 24-7, 365, it's extremely important that you work with a client that appreciates you, that works with you and, and believes in you on a more friendly level than mm-hmm. on a professional level. Mm-hmm. So the professionalism comes from within, but that the client knows, but also understands that my wedding planner has other things I'm not even talking life stuff. I'm saying other clients, they're traveling for other reccees. They can't be there for me 24-7. So you have to have clients that sort of understand you yeah. mm-hmm. and want to make this journey as much as fun as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coming to the end of the session. Um, I'm putting you on the spot now because we've not prepared <laughs> you for this. But what I want you to do is to look into your camera and tell everybody why they should watch 
the wedded? Um, there's there's so many reasons, um, and I'm you know I I can't I can't thank you two enough for having started this podcast uh, for the industry. It's it's long overdue. Someone took the leap of faith and did this, so it's 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 extremely important to for people in the fraternity and also globally to understand what goes into the business. What is a life of a wedding planner? How are things done? What it takes. How long does it take? How do you elevate to the next level? Mm-hmm. And that's what you guys stand for, right? Definitely. The idea is to watch and hear, hear you guys because they, they're looking for these questions and you are here to answer them. And with your help. <laughs> so on that note, thank you so much for coming in today. We are really, truly grateful. Our first ever guest on The Wed Ed. We are going to bring you back in the future and we'll probably... Try and dish, dish a little dirt. bit of dirt um, and get you to spill some secrets that no one else knows. So wait for that. Happy um, but to. thank you yeah. so much. We're very I'm grateful. Super happy to be here. It's been a great experience. I wish you two all the best for this. Thank you. Thank I, you. I know that this is going to soar and do really, really well. And um, I look forward to many, many more episodes. Amazing. Thank you so much. And we'll give him an, a, a round of applause to Aaron Baba. <laughs> So, as always, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for all of the support. You know what to do. Keep following our social media where we post more behind-the-scenes content. And also, I think we should make Aaron do this today. Oh, yes, you have to look at the camera and you have to tell everybody to like and subscribe. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this episode. Yay! (laughs) Thank you so much. We will see you next time. See you guys. (laughs) 